Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. And Luca, this one feels good. Yeah, sounds like you got a little more pep in your step with that voice Ooh. over there, Josh. And oh, yeah. uh, as you should, as I do, um, it was not the prettiest of games, but they don't ask how pretty they were. They just ask if it was a win or a loss in the end. And it's good after kind of the last few results we've had, or not mm -hmm. even results, just games, take away that Jets game. The prior to that, and then, the, of course, the Eagles game before the bye. Um, it feels like the Bills organization, it feels like us as Bills fans really just needed that kind of result out of this game. And thankfully, with their backs against the wall, uh, Josh Allen, everyone involved kind of came through in the end and uh, got the win. And it feels good. It feels good to be sitting here talking wins once again with you. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to keep Tyrod Taylor and the backups of the Giants out of the end zone when they're trying to go down and score on you and and stop a Hail Mary from Baker Mayfield in your building. But this Bills team has kind of gotten a reputation, <clears throat> at least this year, as a team that can't hold leads in big spots. And at Arrowhead with your season on the line is as big of a spot as it gets. And this was a huge game for the Chiefs, too, as we'll talk about later. And the defense came through. And Luca on that fourth down and 15 pass when it goes incomplete and it is crossing your mind that the bills are going to escape Arrowhead with a victory. What was going through your mind? Euphoria. Yeah, absolute euphoria. It was, it, it's funny, even leading up to that fourth down play after everything that had transpired in the craziness that I'm sure we will talk about at some mm -hmm. point in this episode, how could you not? Um, the chiefs did something that, I feel like Andy Reid back in his Eagles days used to do all the time with mismanaging the clock. And then all of a sudden calling that timeout, I assume because all of them were just so mentally not in that moment for a play clock that they just needed to do that. Once that timeout came and now we're sitting at fourth and fourth and 15, that is essentially fourth and game. And by essentially it is literally fourth and game due to that timeout being expended. It was like, Oh wow, here we go. That moment happens. Floyd touches Mahomes' elbow. Not a perfect throw. It's incomplete. No flags on the field. I love Nance or Romo, whoever it was, saying no flags on the field like immediately after the play is dead. And it's like that. It feels right to say that by an announcer because it's noteworthy, especially in today's NFL, where it's like, are there any flags? I feel like we even saw some of the Bills players who were very excited on the field when that moment was incomplete. You even saw some head snapping around. I thought I was watching a soccer match where they looked to check the side to see if it was offside after a goal just because they got to make sure. It was like one of those moments where it's like, did that actually happen? And did it really count? Because that's massive. And uh, yeah, it was a euphoric moment. It was unbelievable. I was just unbelievably excited and happy when we finally were like, we gave the ball back to Mahomes with time on the clock and somehow some way we gave the ball back to a great quarterback, a great team. And somehow some way actually were able to get the job done on the defensive side of the ball, which ironically enough, it feels like this team under McDermott hasn't done too much against those upper echelon quarterbacks. And uh, what a great feeling that had to have been. And I'm sure you share most of those feelings as I do here. Sean McDermott is now 4-0 against the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead in the regular season, 0-2 in the playoffs, as somebody I'm sure is screaming into their podcast speaker. Um, okay, Luca, how will this game be remembered? Because, you know, uh, I what's the, what's the big story of this game? We know nationally the big story is, is going to be the, uh, the Kadarius Tony offsides, and maybe that's how you'll remember this game as well. But we had Josh Allen coming out in the first half with, one of the coolest rushing touchdowns you'll ever see a great touchdown pass to James cook. And then he bailed the bills out with a fourth and miracle play to Dalton Kincaid had a similar play on a third down where he's running out of bounds. It definitely, and he throws it to Latavius Murray debatable, whether Murray caught it or not, but the refs gave it to him. Um, it, it definitely felt like a Josh Allen, put your cape on kind of day, even though he only ends up with two thirty-three, a touchdown and 32 more on the ground with a touchdown. Uh, is it the defense holding the Chiefs and Arrowhead to less than 20 points? Uh, is it the Kadarius Tony offsides on what erased a great play by Travis Kelsey catching a ball over the middle, lateraling it to Tony for what would have been the go-ahead touchdown? How how will this game be remembered? What's what's the lead story coming out of this game? 
The Kadaris Tony moment has to be the lead. It, it just has to be, regardless of what side you're on. Um, that is the image that you can take that still. I should almost just use a screenshot of that pre-snap look as the thumbnail. Maybe I will. I haven't made it yet as of recording this. So maybe I will do that just because it feels maybe right. I probably won't, to be honest. But that is the moment. That is the thing of this game because as even if you go back and look, the flag is thrown immediately. So it wasn't like a late flag where deliberation happened, where you could even as a chiefs fan, if you were, you know, be like, it's a conspiracy or whatever this is, whatever BS you want to spew. It was thrown instantly. It was something an official spotted right at the moment in time, right at the moment of the snap. Um, and when the touchdown crossed, you know, I, I don't think anyone recognized it just because the play had broken down to the point where you weren't even, I, I will genuinely say this beyond my Bills fandom. If, if I pull myself out of that, watching Kelsey make that play, Tony scoring as a football fan, that's a cool play to see actually happen and work. It's unconventional. It takes just guts to actually pull and skill and just timing and luck a little bit to pull something like that off legally, of course, lateral that. Um, and it's one of those things where, it's gut wrenching as a bills fan, although there was time on the clock and I actually wasn't fully lost on that game. It's like, maybe this is just what the, another classic of this matchup has to build up, right? You have that moment, but now Allen gets the ball back to maybe get that last punch. So, but that moment, that clip is truly the story because I think, and I'll say it even real quick here, Terry McCauley on Sunday night football afterwards, even mentioned that that flag or that penalty has been flagged 11 times this year. It's a, it's a really odd flag, like uh, offensive offside. That's not a commonly done thing, but it was clear as day. There might, there seems to be an emphasis to actually flag it rather than the traditional thing that was done in years past, where you just gave a coach a warning, a sideline warning, whatever it is, probably after the play, you know, whatever it might be, or even just yelling out to the player, because even last year it was only flagged twice the year prior only flagged once. It's one of those things where there's clear enforcement or just kind of an emphasis on it by officials. And it's been called numerous times. It was just insane at what point it was called on top of what play transpired due to it wasn't even due to that infraction, but off of that infraction. Right. And it's just one of those things where that play, that moment, everything about that. The national media is going to be talking about officiating once again. It's just going to be the nature of the beast. Fans are going to be talking about officiating again for that moment, but then other things even in this game. And overall, that is just your cover page. That is that is what this game will be, regardless of the Bills winning and the Chiefs losing. That right there will be the story, will be the thing to remember. And if anyone, if if you have to put a nickname to a game, right? If you if you got to have your 13 second nickname if you got to have all these things it is the tony offside game it is whatever will become of that if you tell someone you know did you catch the tony offside game you remember the tony offside game that will probably spark the memories of this entire game just by that statement so how can it not be the story yeah and it's funny because like as that play is playing out i didn't realize there was a flag on the play and in your mind you're thinking oh my god like what what can you do that what an amazing play and boy, the Bills have been on the short end of a lot of amazing plays this year. You think about Russell Wilson on fourth down, spinning around and buying time and then just running backwards and throwing a perfect pass to Cortland Sutton, who makes an amazing catch that ultimately you know helps Denver very much so win the game. You think about Jalen Hurts doing a very similar play on third and 15 for a touchdown. Later in the game, Jake Elliott hitting a 60-yard field goal in pouring down rain. Um, you think about... Um, if, if this play with Tony had happened, you just would have added it to the pile, the pile of this was a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, for lack of a better term, the bills had done a bunch of, a bunch of nasty swallowing this year where a lot of the short end of the stick had gone against them. And it was just like, when that flag came out, it was just, it, it took me a second to realize, like, wait a minute, they're not getting the short end of the stick here. If anything, the Chiefs are kind of getting the short end of the stick. And to Luca's point, like it was offsides, but you rarely see that called, particularly in the fourth quarter. And I, I was just elated. I was relieved because this game, after the Bills take a 20 to 17 lead, had a feel of like, oh boy, here we go again. 
and it wasn't here we go again. I want to talk about the sequence leading up to the Chiefs getting the ball back because there was a lot of pushback, Luca, when I when I was after the game talking about, oh man, what a great win, yada yada yada. And folks were not happy with how the Bills handled the clock at the end there. The Bills' last drive goes 12 plays, uh, 43 yards. They burn off seven minutes of clock. But what people remember about the the end of that game is it's the fact that there was so much passing near the end. I'm trying to find it here. Here we go. Okay, so the Bills get Josh Allen sacked for a four-yard loss, but there's a legal contact on Watson on the Chiefs, and that's where the Bills are set up first and 10 on the KC 22. And there's two minutes and 12 seconds left. So at this point in time, the Bills have already burned four and a half minutes. And they're set up very nicely. A field goal puts them ahead by three. Obviously, a touchdown is great. A first down, you can almost kick a walk-off field goal with Tyler Bass. So first and 10, KC 22, two minutes and 12 seconds left. Josh Allen, incomplete pass to Stephon Diggs. That was clearly an RPO situation. Um, Josh Allen throws the bubble screen to Diggs. You don't at all expect Diggs to drop that ball. He does. Clock stops. Second and two. Next play, it is Josh Allen, incomplete, deep right to Stephon Diggs. Throws a ball. He and Diggs are not on the same page and uh, knocked away by Ladarius Sneed. Third and 10, Josh Allen, short left to Dalton Kincaid. He does catch the ball, which at least takes it to the two-minute warning, and then Tyler Bass hits the field goal. A lot of criticism came on the Bills for those three passing plays. I will tell you from my standpoint, Luca, it's twofold. One, I am not counting the pass to Diggs as a pass. Because to me, that is an extension of your run game. You don't expect your franchise wide receiver to drop that. At the very least, even if Diggs goes nowhere, the clock is moving on that play. The other thing I will tell you, the biggest key there is a first down really does win the game for the Bills. And I have absolutely no problem in this game or any game in the future with Sean McDermott, Joe Brady, whoever's calling the shot saying, we need a first down to win. I'm putting the ball in Josh Allen's hands three times in a row, and I'm going to take my chances. It didn't work out. The Chiefs got the ball back in a very comfortable situation where it was not going to be overly challenging from a time management standpoint to get into field goal or even touchdown range. How did you like the way the Bills handled that end of drive sequence there uh, to, before the Chiefs got the ball back? I didn't say it out loud in my living room, but I will say internally, I loved it. And I don't, I don't want to say loved it. I, I had no problem with it. I'm all for it. I'm okay with it. All of those things. It, it's one of those things where I want to see my team when they are in a position with a great quarterback and are feeling okay about themselves have been put in the position where they can go and win that game to then attack and go win that game. However you want to do it, that's how you should do it. In this team's mind and in my mind for this team, you do it through Josh Allen. And if that's by throwing the ball three times, you know, so be it. You can, you can definitely have the conversation of why are you throwing that one deep to digs? The end zone doesn't do as much for you. Although part of me is like, I get kind of where you're trying to go with that. But at the same time, a touchdown's a touchdown. If you get it, like, <laughs> I mean, it would be a hell of a lot better to have a touchdown by giving the ball back to Mahomes than rather than a field goal. But Sure, you can live in that world, but I personally am just an individual that loves to watch my team attack. And even going off the heartstrings I have for the Cardinals, that sequence and that moment reminded me of, and I off air, Josh, we obviously even paused this so I could try to find this game and I couldn't, but I know the memory is burnt in my head where in the peak Bruce Arians Cardinals days with Carson Palmer playing at MVP like levels, they had a moment in a game on a Sunday night where it was very, very similar. You know, they had, I don't remember if it was a tie game or if they even technically had a lead, but I know a field goal just didn't do too much for them in the sense of, you know, a touchdown for the other team could still win it. And instead of running the ball, they kind of just kept throwing the ball. And even to the point where they did get it to a third and two. And if memory serves me right, if I recall, then all of a sudden Carson Palmer just throws a fade route into the end zone that is incomplete. And instead, that left an additional 40 seconds on the clock for the opposition and saved them a timeout. And, and you even had like Collinsworth and Al Michaels going, what the heck is going on? Why are you throwing that ball? But after that game, Bruce Arian says, that's what we do. We attack the game. We go win the game. That was my moment to go win the game. 
and they're going to do exactly what got them in that position in the first place. So pull it back to the Bills. What got you into this position in the first place? Josh Allen, what can he do? Throw the ball. Why not throw the ball? You're throwing the ball had been working fairly okay, although you can give the argument the second half was pretty rough comparatively to the first half, but live and die by the sword you have. Live with it. If you are not happy with those kinds of things, I feel like you just, it's one of those things where you almost can't appreciate when it works so well. And it's, you have to just accept that this team likes to be aggressive. They want to attack, or I should say, you would like to see them be aggressive and attack because they have the ability to go win it. And why not just go do it, especially as you're on the road in Mahomes' house, Arrowhead, and you can just kind of, really feel good about it and seal the deal there, especially understanding that the week prior Mahomes in that cast did not get it done against a Packers team. So now you're in a position where if you were to put them in that same spot, can they go do it and correct their wrongs again after failing to do so in their most recent effort? I, I, I will say when the lead was had for the bills, yes, I love that they attacked it. But even then, I was like, this is a different Kansas City team where I almost need to see Mahomes do it again because the last time these eyes saw Mahomes try to attack a game winner or game tying drive technically for the Packers game, it fell short. So there's question marks there. And why not just go attack it because you have number 17? I'm with you. I, I'm happy they were aggressive. It didn't work out, but hey, ultimately you have to give the defense credit. They closed the door on the game, which is you know something that especially with the week McDermott had with the, the article that came out from Tyler Dunn, you know that had to feel good. You saw the emotion on his face afterward. I was thinking about this, Luca. Josh Allen has been the Bills quarterback since 2018. When they drafted him, they've had a lot of great regular season moments, but when you talk about the fact that they're playing against Patrick Mahomes, uh, you talk about the fact that really their playoff lives, it's pretty much they have to win out to have a guaranteed shot to make the playoffs. Otherwise, they, you know, they're going to need some help along the way, which they've been getting a lot of help along the way. We'll get into that a little bit later. Is this the biggest regular season victory of the McDermott Allen Bills era? In my mind, cycling back to some of those games like the Patriots in 2021 when they had lost the the, the the wind game on Monday night football and they actually lost the lead in the division briefly went to Tampa lost that game but then they went to New England and and got it back that's a big one I love Dallas on Thursday night on our Thursday day on Thanksgiving just for like the scene it was because we hadn't we weren't living in a world at that point where the Bills had four or five national TV games yet the Bills were kind of still coming up and that felt like such a statement win for this Josh Allen Sean McDermott era but as far as magnitude of the game and then who they're going against and what it meant for the keeping their season off of life support and really pumping blood back into this season, I'm having a hard time finding a game that tops this one, even though aesthetically it wasn't as pretty as some of the games we've seen. Yeah, it's it's like if you take away kind of the ones that had the added um, bonus to them, uh, regardless of the two teams playing and the situation of standings or whatever it might be, you know, because like initially that comes to mind, even kind of an under the radar one is, you know, bills in 2020 at Denver sealing their first division championship in a long time. Mm -hmm. And of course that the magnitude of that moment is huge. And like, it's not taking anything away from even that game, because of course we understand how important that game and sealing the deal in that moment was for the years to come. But I'm with you. I, I I struggle to kind of see any other game where it just feels like based on the two teams and, and the result that was needed for the Bills in order to do things, especially with the back against the wall mentality, with the McDermott story coming out that's starting to question, you know, the the high up uh, stature of McDermott in that front office as well. You know, where questions could be arose if he were to have lost this game all of a sudden where now in the public eye, things aren't looking as good. All of these variables, there's a lot working against the bills in the sense of now you have to go to Arrowhead, one of the toughest places to play and figure out a way to get a win, to keep your season kind of on the path of getting to where you need to be in the playoffs. And they got the job done against a lot of things. And it was far from smooth, but they got it done. And that's all you that's all you can ask. You need that W you needed to correct 
kind of what was going on previously in the season. And this is the kind of game that can truly jumpstart that. And I don't think the bills in the McDermott Allen era have had any bigger. Um, I, I think that thought and that, you know, to say that Josh, I think is very accurate and spot on. And I, I think you have something there. All right. Well, Josh Allen had 233 yards passing today, but strangely enough, only 24 of those yards went to the combination of either Diggs or Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis was shut out again. He did have a couple targets, didn't come away with either pass. And then he had a play late that he wasn't targeted on. Maybe we can get into that. But what do you think is going on with Stefan Diggs, Luca? Is, is it time to be concerned? Because we are now on a streak with Stefan Diggs where we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games since his last 100 yard game. Also, seven games since his last double digit catch game. And, you know, 24 yards today on four receptions. Um, prior to that, he had 74 against the Eagles. That's pretty good. But then you're looking at scores of like 27, 34, 58. Are you concerned at all about Stefan Diggs? Um, no, I, I think Stefan Diggs, maybe if, if you want to even have a conversation of, is he no longer the guy that he has, has been for the bills, the previous seasons. Um, what I would say is maybe that's the case in the sense of only on his best day. Is he going to be the guy that we know of and no longer on his off days where you might have still seen an extremely productive day and still him just doing his thing where he's taking off and doing it? If he's on an off day, maybe it's just an off day statistically as well. And maybe he isn't bringing in every ball that actually hits his hands cleanly like we saw even today in that screen run pass option like that. That's just maybe where we're at now with Diggs in his career. I, I don't think there's any issue though, where I have when it comes to what his ceiling still is, what he is capable of. If he is truly a hundred percent eyes focused, motivated and on a good day, he's, he's the best of the best. He's among the top. Like he is one of those guys and I'm not concerned about that. I just think maybe this is finally getting to the point where that natural regression, where he's still near that top and he's still at that peak area but maybe it's finally on that back half rather than still just sitting among the top. And that's, that's just the reality of age time, everything of that nature, who, who knows what it is. Maybe there's off field things that we just aren't aware of that are affecting him. That's taking his concentration away. I'm not throwing that out. Like it's reality because there's no reason for us to think that beyond crazy nonsense that people like to spew out in the media. But overall, it's like, it's not like there's an issue when it comes to Josh Allen and Diggs. There, there that is not a thing. 11 targets you don't get if you know the quarterback doesn't like you or has a problem with you. The 11 targets are coming because he does rely on you. He does appreciate what he is, what you are to him, and he wants to get you the ball. That's just how it works. I, I love the moment of speaking of that bubble screen drop where then the next play is that go route on the outside right where Allen essentially throws that ball in a sense of, it's just like, go make a play on it. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That was, I don't think Allen on that play, regardless of how anything looked, was going to throw it any other way. He saw one-on-one with this guy 14 and he was just going to throw that ball. Like that was just how it was going to be. So um, I, I, I can understand if a conversation wants to be had about digs potentially on a regression sense, but I don't think he's like regressing to the point where he's not even kind of that go-to stud on, on any given day. I just think he needs to be on his best to be there. Now he can't, he can't be off. He can't be have a lack of focus or motivation at this point. Like he needs to be on, he needs to be switched on. He needs to be doing his thing to truly get that full potential. But that ceiling is absolutely there with dig still. Yeah. I, I think the larger point to me with Gabe Davis being a free agent, and, you know, another goose egg today is third of the season. I do not anticipate the Bills really overextending themselves to keep Gabe Davis in house. Um, with Stefan Diggs, whether it's a decline, I mean, he did just recently turn 30. Um, you know, if, if he is slowing down a little bit, I think it just amplifies the need of this Bills team to get a wide receiver in this upcoming draft. But we are not focused on the draft right now, Luca, because these Bills are in a strong position now to make a playoff run after the win today in Kansas city, if they win out, they are now 99% to make the playoffs. And if they lose all, if they win out, but then they lose one game against Dallas next week, they're above 80%. So the bills are looking pretty good as it sits right now. 
James Cook led the way receiving wise today. And man, oh man, is James Cook just evolving into a really nice all around weapon. He had 10 for 58 on the ground today, along a 15, but he was the Bills' leading receiver in this game, too. Targeted five times, brought all of them in. Five catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. Put the Bills up early with that, that play out of the backfield, running up the seam and really dusting the, the Chiefs' linebackers. Split the safety in the corner. And then he had to play the wheel route along the sideline where Josh Allen throws a perfect ball out there. We said this offseason that Cook had shown us he can be a good runner in the NFL. And there was so much untapped potential for what he can bring to the passing game because that's what made you and I really fall in love with him at Georgia, that kind of weapon he can be in the passing game. We are starting to really see that. And I don't want to give Joe Brady too much credit for that because I think we saw signs of that under Ken Dorsey as well. But I'm just looking at his game log here. Under Joe Brady, James Cook has five catches for 83 yards, six catches for 57 yards. His two biggest production productive days in the passing game were the last two games. That can't be an accident. And then when you look at Joe Brady getting Ty Johnson involved into the, into the game, I think there is a serious concentrated effort on his part to get receivers involved in the passing game. And it's it's allowing James Cook to flourish. Yeah, there there is a noticeable uh, change when it comes to having Brady at the OC position in the running back room and the focus on the running back and what the running back can provide this offense. That is the one thing I will truly say is tangible that we've received with the change from Dorsey to Brady. I, I don't think that there's an overall change in, you know, play design and stuff like that, that I feel like you see out there all the time and people asking for or looking forward to with Joe Brady. It's like, yeah, I think Joe Brady maybe just has a better sense of the pulse of a game and maybe when to do what, and maybe even tries to set up a thing here or there with plays that have already been established in the playbook and kind of were already there maybe by design that Dorsey just didn't have a feel on how to use and when to unleash and so on and so forth. What Brady maybe is actually doing though, is introducing one, uh, a, a different rotation to that running back room where you do have kind of a situation where James Cook is your number one in all facets when it comes as a weapon. But number two at the running back position to run seems to be Ty Johnson now. And it's it's extremely noticeable because pre Joe Brady, there was nothing. Now, all of a sudden he's there and he looks effective in that route. It, it's funny. I feel like Ty Johnson is providing something very similar to what we saw at Devin Singletary, where it's just a foot in the ground, reliable uh, runner where he's just going to kind of take what's there. He can even have, he does have a little pep to his step, of course, too. He's got a little bit burst to him, but it's that role where I'm not expecting, you know, a 50 yard uh, kind of burst out the gate touchdown with him. But at the same time, he's effective with just planting that foot in the ground, shooting whatever gaps needed in the ground game and getting quality yards with those plays. It's not a throwaway by any stretch. So I like that a lot. I like the usage of James Cook. I love to early on in this game going right back to a James Cook play that was even highlighted by Nance and Romo who saw it themselves in person two weeks ago where we saw James Cook drop that same play that was going to be a touchdown. They go right back to it. He catches it. It's a touchdown. And it's a thing of beauty. And it's like that's big for James Cook's confidence. That's big seeing that they still trust him and are willing to utilize him down the field in big plays. And overall, it's one of those things where um, I, I think this kind of uh, change in, in understanding of what the running back position can do with the characters they have in that room can do for this offense it is going to be massive for them down the stretch in this playoff push and hopefully into the postseason where it's something that we haven't seen a Bills team in the years past have is that quality threat at the position of running back where in this case, it might not necessarily be just focused on one guy. It is primarily James Cook, but it is just the overall productivity you are getting out of that position and what the options can do for you that might reap absolute crazy benefits when crunch time comes along and you really need it because whatever else is happening where you still have these goose eggs being put up by Gabe Davis and so on and so forth. So I love seeing it. I think it's great. I think it is the biggest quality that, you know, Joe Brady has brought to this offense. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he's a moving chess piece, much like what we think Kincaid's going to be. Kincaid also had five catches today, only 21 yards. But, you know, he he just continues to be a nice check down piece for Josh Allen. Want to see him a little bit more explosive plays. Uh, but James Cook, there, there seems to be no real ceiling on how good he can be once he gets into the passing game. Congratulations to Sean McDermott. Um, today's win is his 69th win as head coach of the Buffalo nice. Bills. Very nice. Moves him into second all time in Buffalo Bills history, passing Lou Saban and with a record of 69 and 41 winning percentage of 627. Sean McDermott has the best winning percentage in Buffalo Bills history. Just for the record, Marv Levy has 112 wins. So Sean McDermott has a ways to go before he catches good old Marv. Um, but, you know, keep putting the games out there like this. He'll get a chance to do that. All right. So I want to talk about this from the Chiefs perspective, Luca, because they are now on a three game losing streak, which does not happen very often to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And the way they handled this after the game, I thought was, I don't know if immature is the right word, surprising, maybe frustration boiling over because they're not used to being in this spot. Uh, Mahomes was visibly upset on the sidelines. Mahomes and Reed both called out the officials for calling that play um, offsides on Kadarius Tony. Um, this Chiefs team, we've been hearing all season how this is not your your father's Chiefs or maybe maybe like your older cousin's Chiefs from like a couple years ago where you know they can score at will. We, we've heard that the receivers have trouble with drops. We know their defense is very good. Um, what do you think about the Chiefs right now? I, Maybe if you want to talk about within the landscape of the AFC, um, wh where do you rank the Chiefs? And then maybe after that, we can talk about how the Chiefs handled some of the, this nonsense post game. But just in general, what kind of form do you think the Chiefs are in? Well, current form the Chiefs uh, are in is quite simply just there are cracks in the armor. There are noticeable def uh, defective things going on when it comes to just the Chiefs and the product they're putting on the field and what they're capable of. I, I mean, I kind of even said it before where we kicked that field goal to go up 2017. And, and I had someone in my living room that was like, it's too much time. It's two timeouts. It's Patrick Mahomes, right? The classic it's Tom Brady. The, the it, it's, it's going to happen. Like it's inevitable. You, you shouldn't even try to think that there's a chance you're coming out of here with the win because inevitably the guy across from you, number 15 will do it once again. And I looked at him and I was like, this is a different chiefs team. I pointed it out about the Packers game. That was the Packers game was truly when I finally was like, okay, there is something up here. Because even in a moment where they did get the call that they needed to with that Mahomes roughing the pass or uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, whatever it is, because technically it was just hitting a player late, I guess, was what they flagged it, even though it wasn't late. As everyone knows, he was still completely in the field of play, trying to even gain the first down at that point. Um, even with getting the call there, yes, they had then the bad pass interference later on, but it, they didn't even get it close to the end zone. They didn't even get it into kind of inside the 30, which you feel like they just would always in the years past meticulously work their way down the field and just slice and dice you with Kelsey with obviously back in the reek days, they would get huge chunk plays, but even find other productive ways to get things out of your Mecole Hardman's or then, you know, guys like Rasheed Rice now or so on and so forth. And, and they didn't do that. They, they stalled out effectively in green Bay. Fast forward to this game it did seem like it was going well early for them and they were kind of doing what they were doing. Then all of a sudden one big moment where they do pull that crazy trick, you know, I don't want to call it a trick play. It's not a trick play. It's just in my mind, Travis Kelsey just made a hell of a play. Um, it gets called back due to, if they want to call it a questionable call, it's, it's pretty black and white and it is definitely offside. Um, they're just not happy about it because of what it did. They let the game be lost at that point. And this is now, not the first time that that's happened this season where they just can't get it done. And, and you just start to wonder if, you know, aging Kelsey in all respect to him, he is a hall of famer and stuff, but he is on the back end of the thirties. And it's, you know, you do, you do wonder what he's physically capable of anymore. And they just don't have any other compliments around him. I, I feel like even after the season, we're going to be having a conversation about the chiefs when it comes to, do they even have anything built around Mahomes where he can get it done? 
the conversation we've had about Allen, where it's like, we need more weapons. We need better weapons. We need like all of these things. It's like, that feels like the conversation that is looming for the chiefs. And we're seeing a point in their current form. That is that what I will say real quick before kicking it back to you, because I'm sure you got stuff on this as well. I still think they're the top dog in the AFC until they show they can't do it in the playoffs because playoffs change everything. You got to be a mentality monster. You have to know what it's like to be there. It's why the whole thing with the bills, even though technically they've also had their rough stretch of form, every respected media person out there is like, you do not want to see this team. If they make it, there is no world that you want to be the Jacksonville Jaguars or you know, the Colts lost today, but if they were to win that division, you know, whoever the division winner is Baltimore, even although Baltimore may take the one seed at this point, um, there there's no world that any of those division winners want to feel good about themselves only to have the Buffalo bills come into town because they are a dangerous team who understand what it takes to be in that moment. Kansas city is still that team. Are they going to be the one seed? No, that I think that dream for them is over. Are they going to have to most likely play a road game in the playoffs to get to outside of the first round? Yeah, probably because they're at a point now where the Denver Broncos are breathing down their neck and they are losing grip on the division, let alone the top seeds in the conference. So they have a lot to work out, a lot to focus on, and there are clear breaks in everything they try to achieve where I, I do question if they're going to inevitably get to the conference title like they always do and is this finally the year where we do see a little bit of a step back and it's just natural for a team that's been at the height of where they've been for so long that eventually you have to take a step back even the patriots in all their glory days had some seasons where they they didn't make the afc championship you know or so on and so forth like there was an afc championship during brady manning where we had ben roethlisberger playing joe flacco like that did happen so there are years where even the best of the best don't make it to that conference title to the final four. And this just could, for some reason, for all the reasons, be one of those years that Mahomes just can't get it done for that team to get them back to the final four. The good news for the chiefs is they have the Patriots up next and the Raiders after that, maybe that will help them get over this three game losing streak. I am with you. I, I look at this team and and look, there there's still that aura 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 about them. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid in a playoff game. In a lot of ways, if you're a basketball fan, it's like it doesn't matter what team LeBron's on, you don't want to go against LeBron in the playoffs. Those great players just have a way of just not caring about the big moment and finding a way to rise above. Um, so I think until proven otherwise, the Chiefs are still the scariest team. But I do I do think this opens up a larger conversation about the state of the AFC right now, Luca. And I want to get into that with you, but I think maybe what we should do is put a bow on this Bills Chiefs game before we have a larger conversation about what the playoffs look like, what the Bills path looks like in the state of the AFC. Let's put a bow on this Bills Chiefs game. Fun, fun game in Kansas City today. Huge win for the Bills. And before we before I really get into it, I want to say, folks, please find a way to enjoy this game. Sports are supposed to be fun. And today was just such a fun day to be a Bills fan. And I, you know, I put stuff out there on Twitter and people were responding back. Well, oh man, they almost lost that one or clock management down the stretch or they got lucky with the Tony thing. Hey, you know what? They've, they've gotten unlucky a lot this year. So enjoy the luck, I enjoy the game. Don't worry about what happened today at the end, if it's sustainable or if it's luck, the bills are a seven and six football team and they have a very good look at making the playoffs after what was a disastrous start to the season. But Luca, as we do every week for the Bills, we have game balls and game checks. Game ball is our MVP. Game check is basically our least valuable player from the game. They don't even need to get a game check for their performance, but they still will. It's okay. Don't worry. Uh, Luca, <laughs> who gets your game ball for their performance in this game against the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, that's a great question. I, I feel like there's a couple good candidates uh, for this one. Um, I'm honestly going to go on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I had a, I had a player in mind, um, but then I kind of reevaluated it as we were getting to the point where we're winding down this episode. And I was like, you know what? I, I do believe that there is someone on the defensive side that kind of deserves it, even in a situation where I, I don't think they did too much statistically to be showing for this, but, um, Ed Oliver just once again is proving 
uh, I'm going to say more yourself, but I was mm-hmm. included in the take where we, there were questions about the extension given, right? Based on what we have seen, the inconsistency that we had seen, will he finally be able to live up now to a bigger number of paycheck? And can he actually live up to the quote unquote potential that you would expect from a guy like him? And, and honestly, he is one of those rare circumstances where as soon as the money hits the bank account, all of a sudden he does play to that level. And he is, does become the player uh, that co- he can show up in big moments do it on a regular basis and be that massive impact player that we need him to be on the defensive line, especially as we don't have an edge presence. It feels like a lot of times you need it. The pressure coming from somewhere, he provides it all the time, a key big, you know, big paw bat late in the game. He had half a sack uh, somewhere. I can't remember what was that him sharing the sack with Rousseau potentially um, like halfway through the game or so. Don't remember when that one was, but his, Impact was noticeable. The bat to me was the key moment. And that is a big time play for a guy like him to make. And it's yet another one this season, I think is why it kind of tips the scale. And I go, you know what, Ed Oliver, you get my game ball. Yeah. The bat, which made it fourth and 15. That's where you really felt like, okay, the bills have their grasp on this game at third and 15 Mahomes, The world is still available to him. He can go 10 yards then five yards, but that bat really made it feel like, okay, this is going to be the bills day. Ed Oliver's having an amazing season. You're right. Uh, on things I've been right and wrong about, I have not been wronger than a player like Ed Oliver. Kudos to the Bills and Brandon Bean. I made a tweet earlier this week. I think Brandon Bean is having a sneaky, very good season, maybe the best season of his Bills career because when you look at some of the some of the adversity he's been dealing with, you talk about Matt Milano going away, and you know you talk about Daquan Jones going away some of the belief he's had in players that a lot of us were ready to give up on Spencer Brown, Terrell Bernard have grown into really good players. Terrell Bernard, I think is becoming a star um, Ed Oliver. He gave that contract extension to, and some of us flinched at that, but Ed Oliver has become a star. Um, he loses Tredavious white for the season. Kyer Elam's ineffective. And now he's on IR and he rebuilds his secondary with minimal assets, spinning a third round pick, flipping a third round pick for a fifth round pick and bringing in Rasul Douglas. And then his sixth round pick from last year, Christian Benford is, is absolutely holding it down on the other side. Um, he was able to get guys like Leonard Floyd in May. Um, he got um, off the street, the defensive tackle. Why am why am I blanking on this right now? Linval Joseph. Uh, Linval Joseph. My brain is all over the <laughs> Linval Joseph mid season to plug that hole. When Puna Ford was not able to step in the situation with Daquan Jones, um, Connor McGovern looks like a really strong addition and you just start looking at it and some of the losses they've had. Um, Ty Johnson has been an effective player for them. Latavius Murray, when da- when Damian Harris goes down, I think this is a really strong Brandon Bean season. Um, I-, I know that sometimes we get distracted by, Oh, Kyrie Elam was a first round pick. Um, AJ Epinesa, another guy that, you know, is having the best year of his career. Leonard Floyd's having the best year of his career. Um, but I think we get so distracted by, you know, some of the big misses that all of a sudden it's like, you know, he has done a really good job building this roster and that is not a game ball game check segment, but what is my game ball? James cook 10 for 58, five catches, 83 yards, one touchdown, explosive playmaker had the longest run for the bills today. 15 yards had the longest catch for the bills today. 27 yards, got the bills on the scoreboard early was a dynamic playmaker and uh, James Cook was the offense today. I, I think there are some other players on offense who might be a candidate for the next award. But Cook, on a day where the Bills needed somebody to step up, absolutely did that. All right, Luca, with the good, there's got to be some bad. Who gets your game check for this victory over the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, it, funny enough, there was a moment where I actually did debate on having Sam Martin be in my game check because he had quite a... Uh pedestrian punt but then he got himself off my shit list we'll call it because the very next punt that he had as the bills continued to do three and outs was an absolute bomb and it was like okay you you responded well (laughs) you had a bad punt went back out there did your job so i will say just the thought of sam martin uh props to him i will say just for he had a bad moment and he came back around um this is an interesting one because there's a couple guys on offense. It's, it's funny you say, you know, on that side of the ball, there's a couple guys on offense. I look at that. I, I do say this and, and it feels like 
every year we do this now, and I say every as it's in our second year, but every year that we do this, Josh, um, there's always one player that's theming for this award. And, and it's just hard not to look at this. And, you, you know, it's, it's kind of glaring in a way to me. And just be like Gabe Davis with another goose egg. You mentioned it earlier, of course. It, it's going to be talked about. There is no world that I can see spending market value for an individual like Gabe Davis when he is being consistent in some regard on putting up zero productivity for this offense in games where you need him to. You need him to come up. And I will say the biggest moment involved with Gabe Davis in this game, the ball didn't even go to him, and it absolutely should have. I think any individual that watches football, let alone knows football, um, would say the same. We don't know why Josh hitched at that pass and didn't throw that for the touchdown. It is what it is, right? That's that to Gabe Davis's credit is not his fault that he didn't get that ball. But when the ball was thrown to you twice, you didn't come down with it. The one that comes to me is just some simple one over the middle at the sticks. He just flat out drops it. And, and it's, it's just a repetitive theme with this guy where it's like, and we have to pay him 16 to $24 million next year for, per year because not to his fault, but that's where the market, market is for a guy like him right now. And it's like, that's just not going to happen, especially when you consider two things. You have a draft that is chock full of receivers, of course. And then on top of it, it is a fairly deep wide receiver market next year in the free agency world. So why would you be trying to keep this guy in house when you already know what you have with him? I, I don't mean it in disrespect. I don't mean it where I go. I don't care about this guy, but I don't care if he has relationships in the house. And that's why you ultimately want to keep him. That is not worth the dollar amount you would have when you see showings like today. So Gabe Davis gets my game check. It's going to be fascinating to watch Gabe Davis's market this offseason because you're right. Like the cumulative total of his yardage receivers, his age, they get paid. And I just, I just can't fathom wanting any team wanting to pay Gabe Davis eight figures when you see how many college receivers just come into this league now and hit the ground running for pennies on the dollar for what Gabe Davis is going to make. You do wonder if the market's going to correct with how many of those, excuse me, players there are that come in and just right off the bat, they're ready to go. Like there was one today for the chiefs rice. They have him cost controlled for the next three years after, after this year, less than a million dollars a year. And you know, why would the chiefs go out and sign Gabe Davis? So, you know, you know, you, you miss, sometimes you miss, you get sky more and it doesn't work out, but the bills have 10 picks. I expect them to address wide receiver somewhat often in this draft. They still have the unknown and Justin shorter Khalil Shaquille will continue to uh, develop. And they obviously have Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox in house and James cook in the passing game. So they're not going to have a shortage of weapons. I'm with you. I think Gabe Davis is gone. One guy who will be here next year is Stefan Diggs, but he really didn't need to show up today. Luca, he only had four catches for 24 yards, which when you look at the output today for all the pass catchers, he was third on the receiving list, but kind of a no show for the bills. Number one wide receiver. I'm curious to see if the all 22 shows that the chiefs did some, you know, tricky things to keep him out of it. I mean, Romo kept saying it was just Snead one-on-one. Maybe he and Alan were having an off day. We talked a little bit about, is it time to be concerned about digs, but overall, you know, dropping that, that flare out pass at the end there on, on the bubble screen um, that set the drive up kind of to go backwards. It feels like he could have made a better effort on, on a play that Josh Allen threw down the sideline to him to Snead. Um, you know, he didn't draw the pass interference penalty. It seems like he could have worked his way back to the ball a little bit near the end and really set the bills up. Well, not a great digs day. I don't think I've ever given him a game check award, but for this one, I will. And then one game ball, I forgot to hand out Kadarius, Tony. Hey, we appreciate you, man. Um, oh you know, man. <laughs> I, I mean, let's just be honest. I, if he wants to come in the bills locker room, we'll give him a game ball. <laughs> appreciate you. Um, all right, Luca, let's talk about this AFC because the bills are live. They are live, live. And if you've been paying attention to the out of town scoreboard, Things have been going pretty well for the Bills. It started off on Thursday night football with the Steelers losing at home to the New England Patriots. The one o'clock games saw the Houston Texans and C.J. Stroud fall 
to the New York Jets, and we have an injury situation with C.J. Stroud. We'll have to keep track on. It looks like he left the game with a concussion. Hopefully everything's okay there. They play the Titans next week. Um, we have the Colts losing it uh, on the road today to the Bengals, which brings them back one game. But, you know, now the Bengals have won two in a row, so they're kind of still on the way. And uh, the Bills obviously beating the Chiefs. The games that didn't go the Bills' way today were the um, Broncos beating the Chargers. Justin Herbert got hurt in that game. And then the Browns taking care of business against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Luca, how do you like the position the Bills currently sit in? Uh, a lot better than I did two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be just the quite simple response to that. It's like, first and foremost, yeah, they don't have the tiebreaker in a crazy mosh posh where you have the Steelers, the Colts, the Broncos, the Texans, the Bengals, the Bills, all at seven and six. It's a lot of teams all chilling at the exact same record. But if you just look at the teams and you have to and you were to say, okay, these teams are sitting in these current predicaments, they are all vying for we'll call it two spots because the Browns, even though they're only one game in front, they're the one exception to this where yeah, they don't have their leading quarterback, but there's absolutely a debate to be had on what the dip in play is, if at all. And they still have an elite defense where it will most likely get them over the finish line. They are probably going to be your five, uh, yeah, five seed. So I'm taking them out of the scenario. But when you look at the Steelers and their situation at quarterback, especially, but overall the Colts, the Colts are on a backup quarterback, but you know, again, Gardner Minshew is serviceable. We'll call it. They do have a suspect defense, but, They're a decent-ish team. You have the Broncos and their whole thing. The Texans, who now we talked about, C.J. Stroud, as great as he's been, there's a little bit of a concern with him. You you lost Tank Dell already for the season. They lost Nico Collins now for we will see how long. Will that inevitably fall? The Bengals, all due respect to Browning and stuff, even though they've won these two games, it just feels like, you know, there's still kind of any given day you could see them dip a little bit in form. And then the Bills themselves, I like the Bills up against all of those teams. If the Bills had to go through that gauntlet right now with where all those teams stand, Josh, I would feel comfortable saying that they would win four to five of those games. And there are only five games to be played among the other ones that they're tied with. So if you look at it head to head, who's the better team, things of that nature, I like the Bills in this situation. Now you're in a situation as the Bills are where it's like, hey, You just need to keep winning games and you control yourself with where things are because some of those teams play the others and stuff like that, where things will naturally fall where they are. The Ravens still have to play some of those teams. So on, so forth. Like the dolphins are are still going to have to play. uh, Actually, no, they don't really have to play anyone. Never mind. Screw that. Screw that take. They, they just playing cellar dwellers and then also the Ravens and Cowboys. So um, it's just one of those things where the bills have everything in front of them. They are out of all the teams they're tied with in the best situation in house because they are quite literally the only one in that mix of six teams that still have their leading man. And oh, yeah, that leading man is Josh Allen. So it's like, yeah, I like them in a fight with all of those other teams. They can get anyone on any given day. And even going back to something said earlier, they are the team that, of course, all those division winners, whoever those become, want no part of come to playoffs if you were to ask them among that group of six who would they least like to play i agree 100 with that I, I i imagine whoever the division winners are, are just crossing their fingers and toes that they don't get the bills and you mentioned it like there are let's just add it up real quick you just said it one two three four five six teams tied at seven and six and the browns are at eight and five that's the jumbled mess but to luca's point these teams all play each other the the Browns still play the Bengals. The Bengals also play the Steelers. The Browns play the Texans. The Colts play the Texans. The Colts play the Steelers. You're going to get a lot of attrition as they eat away at each other while the Bills are not playing any of those teams. So the Bills are just going to kind of continue. As long as the Bills keep stacking wins, they should be just, just fine. Luca, how do you measure up the AFC? Because I think coming into this year, it felt like, wow, the AFC is loaded. You got Burrow, you got Lamar, you got Deshaun Watson. You know, maybe someone like Kenny Pickett takes another step. Russell Wilson's, you know, second year. Who knows what Sean Payton can do with him? 
Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a jet now. Uh, but now you look at it, Rodgers is gone. Deshaun Watson is gone. Justin Herbert got hurt today. He's not going to make the playoffs regardless. Burrow's gone. And you're looking at a playoff field. Trevor Lawrence, clearly not 100% right now, although you assume he will be by the time the playoffs roll around. You're talking about a bunch of backup quarterbacks that are vying for this wild card spot outside of the Bills. And we saw we have a Chiefs team that's going to win a division probably, but they didn't look great today. You have a Dolphins team that the Bills have already boat raced. A Ravens team that came within an eyelash of losing at home to the Rams today. Um, how do you stack up this this AFC? And is there any team here that you fear more than most? Because I got to be honest, at this point for me with the Bills, I mean, I raise my hand. I'd still prefer not to go to Arrowhead. Like if, if the first round matchups come out, I'd like to see the Bills not go to Miami and not go to Arrowhead because those buildings are just tricky to win in. But from like an X's and O's and matchup standpoint, just bring on whoever. Yeah, the final little stretch of your point is perfect. It's one of those things where if I had to truly rank them, the Ravens to me are the class of the AFC. They are still in a healthy somewhat situation. They have still their number one quarterback in Lamar. They can get you in many different ways. They finally have outside receiving options where you even see the likes of Odell producing especially like today against the rams they got things done against a rams team where they easily could have kind of fallen apart as the rams gave them a really good punch in their own house it's the ravens i, I kind of even got laughed at a little bit when i was on a chief's show uh mid last week where i mentioned don't sleep on Lamar. Don't sleep on the Ravens where they're like, he's got to prove it. You got to show it. He hasn't done it in the playoffs. He's he's almost to the point where they were not even considering him as a viable option at getting at the crown. That was the chiefs one that they currently wear. And I'm like, I don't understand how you overlook a team where they will potentially be the one seed. They are well coached in Harbaugh. And it's like Lamar is still all is as dynamic as anyone out there as a playmaker. Yes, he is not the greatest of passers, but he also has never had outside weapons like he has right now. It's very, very curious to see how it all breaks down. I will say Mark Andrews being out is the one thing that is definitely hurt, hurting him. You, There's a natural dip in Lamar's production when Mark Andrews is not playing for him rather than when he does, of course. But the Ravens also now have something they haven't had the past few seasons, it feels like, and that's a very stout defense. It's not, you know, elite like the Lewis and Terrell Suggs and Ned Reed days, but it is very good. They have very good players on it, and they can get any job done as they need to. So the Ravens, to me, are kind of the class of the AFC, but even then, back to your point real quick, just give me get me in the dance. Get me in the dance against any of these teams. If you're looking at raw matchups, I, I can easily see a scenario where the Bills can take control or, you know, take the win in any situation that they find themselves in against another opponent. They've shown that they can beat all of these different teams in different in different fashions. And, and reality is you may not. Hopefully, I'm really hoping the Broncos can catch up to the Chiefs because I would love to see the Chiefs in a wild card spot altogether where. It's not even like you're going to see them at Arrowhead unless extreme circumstances arise because they're in the five or six and somehow the seven makes a run, you know, something of that nature. So it will be curious to say, I, I will be curious to see how it all breaks down in the end when it comes to the division winners and everything like that. But if the bills find themselves in a wild card spot at the end of the day, I won't be too concerned about the matchup because as long as they're in that dance, they have more than a puncher's chance against anyone else they're going to have to face. I was laughing because I was thinking about these poor division winners that work all season to win their division. And if Mahomes winds up being a wild card, <laughs> two of the three division winners playing on wild card weekend would play Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Congratulations on that division banner. Here are two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, as Jim Nance said today, which I thought was kind of slick. Yeah. I love I love Josh Allen. That feels a little early. I'm with him on Patrick Mahomes, although I, I would if I had to predict, I'd say Josh Allen winds up in Canton, uh, particularly if he gets a Super Bowl win. All right, Luca, uh, any final thoughts on the game today? Um, what we've talked about with the playoff scenarios, um, the way this team rallied around Sean McDermott after the Tyler Dunn uh, article last week. Anything out there that we haven't mentioned that you think is worth mentioning before we get out of here? 
best thing to have happen today, Josh, is I, I, I don't know if zero's hit. I finally closed the game, but best thing to have happen was a controlling win for the Cowboys. And I will say it this way. All the attention, all the media, everything naturally is going to be on the that star all week as that team then is going to be coming into Orchard Park and playing these bills. And it's going to be fun with the world being on them. I, I'm very curious to see how the betting world works with that game because there is always kind of this public lean towards the bills where now it's like now you have the Cowboys coming on what seems to be a heater. I will say I'm not coming off of my Fugazi thing. Respect to them. They finally beat a quality opponent in the Eagles. There are questions, though, where it's like this Eagles team has kind of shown a little bit of wear and tear week by week these last few games where it's like it does feel a bit like this could have been a close game if on a good, healthy day. I think the Cowboys probably win this game regardless, I guess now. Uh, it's really unfortunate that I had Eagles plus three and a half on my lock, but I will say the scoreline is the way that it is, and I do believe that just due to fatigue and just tiredness and whatever else is going on, plus a not 100% Jalen Hurts, that just the Eagles were not on their best day in uh, in a place where the Cowboys have shown that if you give them even an inch, they will take a mile and absolutely destroy you. Now they got to come to Buffalo and play outdoors i'm looking at it live on the spot i should have had this up for this exact point but yeah it's on me um early forecast for next week it actually looks pretty decent which sucks but <laughs> mid to low 40s uh and partially sunny i'm hoping that kind of changes a little bit i'd love to see the cowboys have to come here with a little bit of elements and cold um to deal with but um it, it's gonna be an interesting one where Everyone's going to be talking about the Cowboys, even though the Bills just took care of Kansas City. And it feels like the Bills won't have to kind of deal with, okay, now you're back, right? All those things. Those questions will be there locally and all of that kind of stuff. But the national media is going to be all about the Cowboys. How can the Cowboys now win the NFC one seed? How can the Cowboys win the NFC East and continue the trend where no repeat division winners occur? All of that stuff. And it's going to have to continue in Buffalo, so on and so forth. So, I'm happy to see that win because it's not them kind of I would have preferred them in kind of hiding in their shell, but it will be interesting to see that dynamic where everything's on them in a season where as soon as everyone backs you, as soon as you become the media darling, that's when the kind of the rug gets swept out from underneath you and you get, you know, thrusted back down to earth real, real quick. It's funny. So the Cowboys hold the tiebreaker over the Eagles, even though they split the season series. Uh, they're both 10 and three right now, but the Cowboys are the ones that are the two seed and the Eagles are the five seed right now. When you look at the end of season schedule, though, the Eagles next week go to Seattle, which I guess is decently tough. Uh, but then after that, they have the Giants twice and the Cardinals. So you feel like the Eagles have a really good look at three or four wins there where the Cowboys have to go to Buffalo and to Miami. So um, big game for Dallas next week. This this game is just everything you want in an NFL regular season game Two, you know, fishbowl teams right now with the Bills having Josh Allen as their quarterback. They're obviously a story in the league. The Cowboys are the most recognizable team in the sport when it comes to national attention. Um, the Cowboys have been desperately trying to win their division for the last few years. We'll see if they can finally get that done. Um, massive, massive game. Just an absolute beauty. And you love the fact that your team is able to play in a game like that. And hopefully the Bills can get it done. Uh, but what they bought themselves with the winning Kansas City today is they bought themselves a little bit of wiggle room. They hadn't had that in a while. Their backs were against the wall. They fought back thanks to the out-of-town scoreboard. Now they have a little bit of wiggle room. I am much more confident today, Luca, with the Chiefs game in our pocket that 10-7 and 7 gets the Bills in. Uh, before that, I was just kind of talking myself into it. Right now, I'd have to say that if the Bills finish 10 and 7, I'd put money on the fact they're going to make it. Yeah, I think 10 and 7 gets you in. I think the conversation we had earlier with that whole mix of six teams that are currently sitting at 7 and 6, you can easily talk yourself into out of those six teams, four of them kind of up and downing the entire season. And then next thing you know, they're 9 and 8, 8 and 9, whatever it might be, depending on results and matchups. And, you know, if math serves me right, if 
if you have six of them in there trying to fight for two spots and four of them end up nine and eight or worse and the bills are 10 and seven yep check mark that means they're in the playoffs so uh it's just what you need to do the wiggle room's a great point to be had but why not just win that game and really lay some pressure on a lot of different options that would be there in front of you then after that point, because there's still that crazy little idea about the division not being out of mind. And if you could forepeat as a division after the season you just had against a Miami team that looks to be kind of an AFC darling still in the media's eye and will probably show Monday night. They will continue in their ways of showing just how dynamic they are against a very lowly uh, set Titans team without their best defensive player. Um, it will be interesting down the stretch to see how that all breaks down. So love to see a win because then that wiggle room becomes big in the landscape of just getting into the playoffs. But overall, you are not shutting any door in front of you with what is potentially available after this win in Arrowhead. How beautiful would it be if the Dolphins who play tomorrow night against Tennessee Titans lose at home to the Titans? We would be over <laughs> over the moon. Yeah, but let's let's not let's not live in that. That that's delusion. <laughs> the, Dol the Dolphins next real game. Well, you know what I will say? I'll, I'll walk that back a little. I was gonna say the next real game is when they play the Cowboys and the Ravens. The Zach Wilson Jets mm -hmm. are not gonna go down without a fight. And I, this is not a Zach Wilson appreciation comment. I just think he's a baseline backup quarterback, which is not what you hope to get when you take him second overall, but he's way better than Tim Boyle. Oh. Um, so I think that the Jets, at least with their defense, are somewhat live in that game. And, uh, you know, and then you have the Cowboys and the Ravens. If the Bills win out, the Dolphins still have a lot of work to do. So that's where that's where we're at. All right, Luca, this has been fun. What a fun day to be a Bills fan. And, it, it, you know, there, there's no rest. I, I, I almost wish the Patriots game was next. So we could just kind of take a breather. <laughs> uh, I know it sounds weird because the Patriots already beat us. But, no, we're right back in it. Um, th the biggest game is the next game. All the cliches are there. Luca and I will be back on Bills Chat Live on Friday, breaking down this Cowboys matchup that should just be as epic as epic gets. And then Luca and I will be back right here in these very seats next Monday morning with Bill's Chat Podcast, hopefully talking about another big Buffalo Bills victory. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will talk to you next time on Bill's Chat.